All right. Hi, everybody. Hello. Welcome to your Friday. You're listening to Crooked News, where we bring you crazy news, hilarious history, and lots of ice today. (laughs) (laughs) We just had an ice storm. Yes, we're iced in. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I... There's this girl that I work with who is originally from Vietnam. She just moved here a few years ago. Oh wow! Yeah, she's that's a that's a wintry wake up. Yes. Yuck! She was like Vietnam you- is beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> would much <laughs> rather live in Vietnam than here. She asked me. She said, "So do you all get ice storms like this often?" And I was like, "I mean, not really. Like the last one we had that was really big was like ten years ago." Um, but this is like the biggest one we've had since. And she's like, yeah, the ice storms back home are different. They, and like, she described them to me and I was like, oh, so you guys, like you guys get hail a lot. And she's like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's like a hail storm. Yeah. Yeah, That's different. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's a different thing. We have lots of different ice here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, different kinds of ice. Yeah. She's so fun. I like her a lot. She's working to put That's herself really cool. through school. Um, nice. Yeah. She wants to like. She wants to go into the army, too. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, Neato. She yeah. knows if she does the army first, the army will pay for her school, right? Yeah. She she just wants <laughs> to have some money saved before she like. Oh, that goes. makes sense. Yeah. Um. It it really sucks. Her the guy that her mom married lied to all of them. Oh no. To get them to come over. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. So she lives with her aunt and her aunt's husband now. And like the rest of her family lives in Louisville and um she still lied to her what lied to them like about how much money he had or what yeah lied to them about how much money he had he said that he was gonna pay to put her through school and that they would like have their green cards like as soon as they got (gasps) over there and oh no yeah so like she's still like trying what was his plan that was (laughs) clearly a lie like what was your long-term plan dude i have no idea but, like, he, um... What an asshole. Wow. She's still gotta get a certain type of visa. Like, she's finally mm-hmm. got her green card. She has to get a certain type of visa to be able to, like, serve in the army. And right. it's just, it's a lot of paperwork. And, um... And everything's moving slowly right now because of COVID, yeah. so... Oh, that sucks. Yeah. And Poor thing. Yeah, and she's still, like, she's trying really hard to learn English. So, um... And it sucks because people around here can be awful. Yes, that is true. Um, but, like, anytime, like, she asks me what a word means, I'll tell her. Like, sometimes, and she knows, like, with me, she can be like, hey, I didn't really understand. Like, can you say it a different way? Like, and I just, I like her a lot. Oh, that's so important. Yeah. Good. Yeah. She's really fun. Awesome. Yeah. All right, um, what have you got? So I've got some spooky stuff for us today. Yay! And then something that's just kind of weird, and I'm kind of mad I didn't think of it first. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so this is from t- uh, True People Search Insights. Um, it doesn't have an author. 
but it was published on January 7th, 2021. Okay. Where the highest frequency of ghost sightings have occurred in the United States. That's the title of this article. Okay. (laughs) Where have the most ghosts been spotted across the U.S.? Using data that has been collected by Ghosts of America since 2005, the True People (laughs) Search Insights team has tallied the list of ghost sightings to find the total number of sightings in each state, and from there found the frequency of ghost sightings per 100,000 people in the state. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Next to each state, you can find the city in that state with the most recorded ghost sightings. We also found the most haunted places in America by compiling a list of the 30 cities found to have 50 or more reported ghost sightings during this time period. So, there is a chart on on here. There's, like, a map of the U.S. and you can go and, like, click and find your state. Um, Mm -hmm. Ours looks like it's at about 20 to 29 sightings per 100,000 people. Um, really? Yeah. So We've got a pretty haunted state. I'm surprised. Yeah. That it's not a little bit higher. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a list of the um, the 10 top ones. Um, okay. And I know we have a pretty haunted state, but we also, we're in the Bible Belt, so a lot of people aren't going to call True. it like ghosts. Or if they have True. seen something, they're not going to say it. Um, so, just got a lot of creepy woods, man. Like, Um, maybe it's not like a ghost sighting, but I feel like people feel an energy mm -hmm. because forests have an energy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You feel like presences and things. Yeah. So, the state with the highest frequency of ghost sightings was Maine with 56 sightings for every 100,000 people. Wow. Yeah. While it's no surprise that the most populous states in the country were found to have the most paranormal sightings, on a per capita basis, smaller states end up closer to the top of the list. North Dakota... Well, the smaller states are all over, like, in the New England area, too, mm-hmm. where, like, there were lots of people burned at the stake and shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And probably lots of instances of genocide and... Mm-hmm. Things of that nature. (laughs) Yeah, and that's also, like, where the first settlers were, so, like, that makes sense. from our sordid, sordid history. Yes. (laughs) Um, North Dakota was another state with a smaller population that went to the top of the list in terms of frequency, with 53 ghost sightings per 100,000 people. So, the 10 states with the highest frequency of ghost sightings. Number okay. one was Maine with 56 per 100,000 right. people. These wow, are all per 100,000 people. Right. Yeah. So number two with North, was North Dakota with 53. That's so surprising. Yeah, right? Uh, like no one lives in North... Like no one lives there. <laughs> like North Dakota... The, the, the Dakotas in Montana, there's like nobody there. Hardly. That's so interesting. Funnily enough, all three of those are on this list. That's so funny. Yeah. Oklahoma. I guess. Well, I mean, that could be part of why. Like, it's mm-hmm. an unpopulated. It, it's more untouched, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I wonder if they're counting like supernatural creatures in this because I bet there are a lot of Wendigos. Um. Ooh, shit. Yeah. 
Because I, I know that's around the area where they would, like, Yetis, that side of the country. Yeah. Um, oh. Are you going to go to that Sasquatch place when you go to Oregon? No, I want to. <laughs> I really want to. There's also this, like... Where's the Mothman place? Huh? Where's the Mothman place? That's on the East Coast somewhere. It is? Okay. Mm-hmm. There's this really neat bird sanctuary in Oregon that I want to go to, but I'm sure it's going to be closed because COVID. Of um, course. Yeah. So whenever that opens up again, I want to go. Um, so number three was Oklahoma with 47. Hmm. Number four was South Dakota with 46. Number five was Wyoming with 37. Uh, number six was Vermont with 37. Number seven was wow. Montana with 35. Number eight was West Virginia with 33, which I think I'm pretty sure that's Mothman area. West Virginia. Mm, okay. Um, I can't look it up, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> number nine was Kansas with 32. And number 10 was Iowa with 32. Iowa? Yes. <laughs> Stop. You're so silly. <laughs> I learned I learned to read by reading in my head. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> but you've heard it said so many times. <laughs> and it was burned in my brain a different way. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> um which state is the most haunted? The most haunted state in the U.S. is Texas, which had the most ghost sightings by far. With it's also seven, the biggest state. Yeah. With 7,218 entries submitted to ghostsofamerica.com. Wow. Yeah. Texas. <laughs> um, Who'd have thunk? Yeah. California came in a close second with 6,758 ghost sightings. Um, and well, there's a lot of, of murder in California. That makes sense. Yeah. So. Muck okay. Duck. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then it also has the 10 states with the most ghost sightings. So Texas was number one. California was number two. Ohio was number three. Uh, Michigan was number four. Illinois was number five. Uh, that. That surprises me. Um, mm -hmm. Pennsylvania was number six. Uh, New York was number seven. Indiana was number eight. Oklahoma was number nine. And Virginia was Indiana? number ten. Yeah. Huh. New York, I thought, would be higher up on that list. I would think so, too. Um, but hey. Yeah. But I feel like a lot Clearly, of the traffic... we were wrong. <laughs> But I feel like a lot of the traffic there may have been, like, pushed out by all the energy that's there. By all, like... That's fair. Because there are so many people there. Um, yeah, that's fair. And they're all, like, really big personalities. Most of them, I should say. Um, Lots of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, Oh god, and then there's a list of like the thirty sittings with the mo the thirty cities with the most ghost sightings, but we won't go through all those. Um 
Uh, but Hemet, California is on there. It's number nine. Hmm. And Fort Knox, Kentucky is number four. Huh. Close to uh, home. <coughs> Owensboro, Kentucky is number 28. I was going to say, we have like a lot of ghosts in Western Kentucky. Yeah. So that was that one. Um, this is from Menichi, uh, Japan's National Daily. This was uh, transcribed in English. Um, oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it looks pretty... Like, it looks pretty solid. So, rent a person who does nothing in Tokyo receives endless requests and gratitude. This was published. What? Yeah. Uh, you'll get it in a second. This was published on January 11th, 2021. So, Shoji Mor- Morimoto, who rents himself out to other people to do nothing, is seen standing near Nakano Station in Tokyo's Nakano Ward. So, he looks he looks pretty chill. He looks about I'd say he looks about my age, but then it says a 37-year-old Tokyo man. They always <laughs> look so much younger than they are. I know. Um, so, a 37-year-old like people like Japanese people like don't age. It's so crazy. I they know, have like the right? best skin. I'm jealous. Um a 37 I am too. <laughs> a 37-year-old Tokyo man who says he rents himself out to other people to do nothing has been inundated with gratitude from Twitter users indicating people are happy with his new form of support. Um, I'm glad I was able I'm intrigued. <laughs> I'm glad I was able to take a walk with someone while keeping a comfortable distance where we didn't have to talk, but could if we wanted to one user wrote another reflected. I had been slack about visiting the hospital, but I went because he came with me. So this makes a lot of sense because the people in Japan are like super fucking lonely. So there's mm-hmm. been like um a rise of people like literally renting people to like go do stuff with just because it's a very lonely place. Um So uh Shoji Morimoto has been advertising himself as a person who can eat and drink and give simple feedback but do nothing more since June 2018, and has received over 3,000 requests. He has about 270,000 followers on Twitter. Initially, yeah, initially he had offered his rent-a-person-who-does-nothing services for free, but he now charges 10,000 yen, which is roughly $96 per request. Hmm. Um, People rent him for various reasons. At times, he will participate in a gaming session to make up numbers, turn up to send off people who are moving away, accompany those filing for divorce, or listen to healthcare workers who have become mentally unwell due to their exhausting work. Wow. Uh, yeah. Um, Morimoto commits to doing nothing and basically just gives back-channel feedback when someone speaks to him. I myself don't like to be cheered on by others. I get upset when people simply tell me to keep on trying. When someone is trying to do something, I think the best thing to do is to help lower the bar for them by staying at their side, he explains. Um, Morimoto got a job with a publisher after finishing a graduate degree, but found it hard to fit in and left. His boss said sarcastically, it doesn't matter if you're here or not. 
When he was troubled that he couldn't find anything to do on a long-term basis, he was inspired by a person who did nothing but got treated to meals. Not long after, hmm. he set up a Twitter account. This uh, is so weird and right? so interesting. One thirty is filling such a specific need. <laughs> it is. And I'm kind of afraid that this is where America is starting to head. But, I mean, we're also, a lot of us are just so socially anxious that we probably wouldn't. But I feel like some people right. will, in the future, like, need a service like this. Maybe, yeah. Um, <coughs> more, more um, of the belief that it might be a need that we might be something people want or need but we wouldn't be able to afford it yeah um one 36 year old writer says she has rented morimoto on at least 10 occasions she asked him to stay beside her when meeting a man for the first time and also had him listen to her talk about her views on love which she could not divulge to her friends and how she went on an undercover visit to a woman's adult entertainment establishment for her job he listened to me without shaming me about going to the adult entertainment shop. It felt like a support to just have him by my side without forcing his opinions on me. Um, wow. <laughs> however, he remains nonchalant about the praise, saying, I'm not doing it for that purpose, so my only response is, oh, really? He also doesn't want his work to be seen <laughs> as an act of charity. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> I'm not a friend or an acquaintance. I'm free of the bothersome things that accompany relationships, but can ease people's sense of loneliness. Maybe it's something like that for me. Um, in the current age, difficulties have spread to various areas of life. It may be the case that somewhere in their hearts, everyone is longing for someone who will cheer them on. It seems that this may be why the rent-a-person-who-does-nothing, who doesn't tell you to do your best or that they support you, but stays by your side in silence, has seen endless demand. Wow. Right? Interesting. I mean, that's that wasn't a bad idea. No, it's not. It's odd. <laughs> it's odd, but apparently there's a demand for it. But wow, yeah. Uh, so huh. this, so this last one is aimed at anyone who's going to be taking college courses right now. Um, okay. This is from futurism.com and it was by Victor Tangerman. Sure. <laughs> Why not? A university is using a dead professor to teach an online class. I'm sorry? Yeah. Um, a Okay. <laughs> Aaron Ansu Ansuini, a student at Concordia University in Montreal, Canada, made a shocking discovery. He found that his art history professor wasn't alive anymore. Oh my god. Hi, excuse me, Ansuini wrote in a tweet. I just found out that the prof for this online course I'm taking died in 2019, and he's technically <laughs> still giving classes since he's literally my professor for this course, and I'm learning from <laughs> lectures recorded before his passing. Oh my god, what? <laughs> uh, I That's mean, fucked up. Right. Then they don't have to pay him. That's yeah. so fucked up. I mean, I guess I technically read text written by people who've passed all the time, he continued, but this 
but it's the fact that I looked up his email to send him a question and pulled up his memoriam instead that just threw me off a little. (laughs) 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 Oh, that's amazing. Um. Concordia University confirmed to Slate that the professor Francois-Marc Gangon, a lecturer in the university's art history department, did indeed pass in 2019 before the COVID-19 pandemic. His lectures, however, live on in Concordia's online course catalog and are used for a dedicated online course. The class is technically being led by a different professor and two teaching assistants, with Gangon's recordings being used as a teaching tool. However, you need to explain that and say, hey, if you have a question, you need to email this professor. (laughs) Not list him as the professor for the course in Blackboard. Yeah, that's weird. (laughs) Um... That's so funny. (laughs) Oh, this poor student. Yeah. (laughs) He said, hello, excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me, sir. (laughs) Sir, you're dead. (laughs) Sir, why are you dead? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm being taught by a ghost. There hasn't been an art professor here in 25 years. (laughs) 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 Betsy's been dead for 10 years oh that's so funny don't die sorry I'm trying not to (laughs) Uh, (laughs) should we take a break yes that was awesome thank you (laughs) hello everybody and we're back and we have a third co-host with us because somebody woke up from her nap. <laughs> we so this might get interesting. It. Yeah. Yep. This might get interesting. <laughs> so, um, I have not read this. Okay. So we are gonna learn about this new festival together. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> it just looked weird and interesting. So here we go. So okay. this is from Mental Floss. Um, Yay. This was written by Austin Thompson. Uh, published January 30th, 2019, but it was updated February 10th of 2021. Oh. So this is... <coughs> Sorry, I have cookie in my throat now. Hang on. <laughs> so this is eight facts about Luper, Lupercalia. La, Lu, sure. The ancient <laughs> festival full of whippings and ritual sacrifice. Oh, yikes. All right. So... You ready? Let's yeah. dive in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited. So, <laughs> sex, violence, and drunkenness. For centuries, Lupercalia? I hope that's how you say it. I don't know. And I didn't <laughs> look it L. up. The L. The big um, L. Yep. <laughs> Lupercalia was a major Roman party surviving well into the rise of Christianity. And pretty soon, some and pretty soon, someone on your Facebook feed is probably going to claim that this holiday gave rise to our modern Valentine's Day. <laughs> I so bet it's a, it's a holiday for Dionysus. I think I've heard of this. It's something. Um, so, what's the true story behind the ancient Roman festival and its relation to candy hearts? Okay. Number one. Lupercalia featured odd sacrifices. Every year on February 15th, the festival began by going to the Lupercal, 
the legendary site where Romulus and Remus were suckled. Oh. <laughs> and, and sacrificing a dog and a goat. Oh, Not no. a fan of that. Nope. According, according to scholar Keith Hopkins, this was unusual in and of itself because pigs, sheep, and bulls were the most commonly used as sacrificing as sacrifice, uh, blah, blah, sacrificial animals. Mm-hmm. The Oxford Classical Dictionary explains that, n- that next, the blood of these animals was, quote, smeared with a knife on the foreheads of two youths who were obliged to laugh and whip and wiped with wiped with wool dipped in milk which is weird yeah where do you get that well romulus are you gonna hold the microphone for me remy (laughs) oh i know what that is but I i guess that's yeah. Well, wiped with wool dipped in milk while you laugh? I don't understand. I Whatever. Don't, I okay. Don't either. <laughs> I'm trying to put it all Number, together and it just it might not go together. <laughs> it's just not gonna. Yeah, the Romans were weirdos. Okay. So um, number two, whippings were also on the Lupercalia menu. After the blood wool excitement, Lupercalia's main attraction was the runners. The sacrificed goat's skin was cut into thongs and possibly girdles. What the fuck? <laughs> to be worn by the athletes. Then two sets of runners, a third set would be added later, would make their way through the streets of the city, whipping whomever they met on their way. Oh my according god. According to some accounts, according to some accounts, women would volunteer to be whipped because it was believed to bring fertility. And make the birthing process easier for them. Newsflash. It nope. does not. <laughs> <laughs> but as the years passed, things changed. By the third century, the voluntary nature of this ritual seemed to be less voluntary. Oh, no. Hopkins claims that a mosaic featuring a Lupercalia celebration features, quote, two men forcibly holding a naked woman's face <clears> upwards. <throat> Holding a naked woman face upwards while a third man, half naked, whips her thighs. The men's drunken hilarity is matched by the beaten woman's obvious pain. Oh, no. Not cool. Hey, Remy. She's just staring at me. I know, it's oh. weird, baby. <laughs> Number... Oh, my God, you're so heavy. Number three... People may have been naked, or maybe not. (laughs) One long-standing debate about Lupercalia is the degree of nudity. There were definite references to nudus, but that that doesn't necessarily mean naked. It Uh, could just mean, quote, having one's main garment removed. (laughs) Possibly reference to the runners wearing goatskin loincloths, but other writers were explicit in mentioning nudity as part of the festivities. It remains an open question whether the festival was PG, R, or X-rated. Probably on, X-rated. Just a second. Yes, That's probably X-rated. Standards. Hang on J- just a second. I'm going to put her down. Okay. Okay, number four. It's not quite clear who... Say what you just said to me while we were taking a break. Say that again. Oh, um, so this was actually thrown in honor of the Greek god Pan, who was, um, like, like something in Roman. Um, but there was, there was another festival that I'm thinking about, um, 
that was thrown in honor of Dionysus, which is also for fertility, where they mm-hmm. were just drunk and naked the entire time, like like the whole thing. Like orgy. orgies were rampant, and yeah, yeah. Um, lots of wine. Yeah, and uh, Carrie said that he was Bacchus in the Roman mm-hmm. um, yes theology. Yeah, so what did you say that Pan's name was in Roman? Lupercus Um, or something? Lupercus, I think. Uh, Hold on. Lupercalia, you said it was? Yeah. Uh, He was Lupercus, yes. Lupercus, all right. That makes Mm -hmm. more sense. And he was... Pan is a nature god, so he was like all over the place, And he was nude, save for goatskin girdle, so it makes sense that they would make girdles. He was a a goat dude. Yeah. All right. Uh... (laughs) <laughs> That's funny, though, because now let's talk about number four. It's not quite clear who or what Lupercalia was celebrating. According to the first century BC, BCE, scholar Marcus Terentius Varro, that's quite a name, quote, Luperci are so called because of the lupercalia because of at the lupercalia they sacrifice the lupercal the lupercalia are so are so called because that is when the luperci sacrifice at that just makes no sense none of that made at it. the lupercal none of it made any sense whatsoever it went in this incredibly unhelpful yeah, this incredibly unhelpful circular definition has led to centuries of debate about who or what the festival was actually celebrating. You can't use the word in the definition, no, sir. You cannot. Uh, Ovid suggested that it was for Faunus, a Roman pastoral god. Livy said said it was an Anuus, the god of fertility, and Varro said it was a wolf goddess named Luperca. Uh, traditionally, the two sets of runners were re- were related to the myth- mythological founders of Rome, Romulus and Remus, who were suckled by a wolf. But confusingly, Livy says that the twins were ambushed by bandits while celebrating the Lupercalia, leading some scholars to suggest the festival predates Romulus and Remus. Yeah. Um, as a South African scholar, PMW Tennant. Uh, observed while discussing Romulus and Remus at the Luper- and the Lupercalia, quote, most of the ideas put forward here are obviously high conjectural, <laughs> highly conjectural, <laughs> as all theories concerning the Lupercalia are bound to be, because nobody knows what it is. It's just this mysteriously weird festival. I love it. Yeah. So, number five, Lupercalia is when Julius Caesar was offered the crown. Oh, Today, Lupercalia is probably most famous for what happened on February 15th, 44 BCE. That day, quote, a naked perfumed drunk, (laughs) unquote, Mark Anthony was one of the runners while Julius Caesar watched the proceedings from a throne. Antony went up to Julius Caesar with a diadem, quote, um, a type of crown or headband, which those of us who read Harry Potter know what a diadem is, Mm -hmm. um, and though I always want to say diaphragm, and that's a totally different thing, um, in what later historians have said was almost certainly scripted, attempt, attempted to give it to Caesar and proclaimed him king. 
The crowd's initial response, the crowd's initial response to this action was tepid, but when Caesar refused the crown, they cheered. Antony tried again, Caesar refused again, and the crowd exploded. Caesar ordered the crown taken to the Temple of Jupiter because Jupiter was Rome's one king. Mm -hmm. The purpose of the exercise has been debated. Some propose Antony did it on his own to either flatter Caesar or embarrass him, while at the time... It was thought that Caesar orchestrated the stunt as a way to test the waters for whether the people would accept a king. Oh. Interesting. This sounds totally scripted to me, but whatever. Yeah. Um, either way, it didn't really work out for Caesar since he was assassinated a month later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Et tu, Brute! All right. Number six. A pope criticized the, the Lupercalia Festival. Of that makes he did. perfect sense. One of he? Lupercalia's right. One of Lupercalia's most remarkable features is how long it survived. We know this because circa 494 CE, which is AD, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> In the year of our Lord 494, <laughs> Pope Gelasius, 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 Gelasius. Jello wrote a, <laughs> wrote a letter criticizing Christians participating in it. He commented on how in the olden days nobles would run as Lupercali and strike naked matrons, and modern participants should be willing to similarly run naked. Okay. By Gelasius' by time, this had become heavily altered, leading him to proclaim, quote, your bashfulness ought itself to teach you that the Lupercalia is a public crime. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that you're naked and are ashamed to be naked should show you that this is a bad thing. Thank you. Not salvation and the cult of divinity, regarding which no wise man would blush. Rather, the Lupercalia is an instrument of depravity, which your mind, bearing testimony against itself, blushes to fulfill. <laughs> okay, Jello. <laughs> He's so extra. He is. <laughs> and I love it. The letter is interesting to historians for many reasons. First, because Gelasius flat out describes many of the less seemly rites, and it also allows historians to analyze how Lupercalia changed with time and changed with the perception of the author. Mm -hmm. For instance, Gelasius indicated that by the 5th century, lower classes were the runners, whereas important figures like Mark Anthony participated in earlier events. So it had become more of a peasant thing. Yeah. Which is interesting. Number seven. Despite what you've heard, Lupercalia probably has nothing to do with Valentine's Day. (laughs) I would say it absolutely has nothing to do with Valentine's Day. Nothing. Uh, Since that has to do with St. Valentine's. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. So, um, many pop, many pop culture websites and books declare that Pope Gelasius replaced Lupercalia with a festival dedicated to St. Valentine of Rome, or possibly of Terni, Terni, the figure is mysterious, I don't know who that is, um, 
who had his feast day on February 14th. But mm. as British author Mark Forsyth, Forsyth? Yes, Forsyth once observed, quote, it is vitally important when writing about traditions to remember that there are only 600 and there are only, no, there are only 365 <laughs> days in the year. Overlap is not significance. I don't yeah. know what that means. But sure. Okay. Oh, that makes sense. I get it now. Sorry. <laughs> it took me a minute. Oh, God. It's also the 15th and not the 14th. So, like, yeah. it's a different day. That's like when people are like, when's your birthday? And you're like, October 3rd. And they're like, mine's the 8th. It's like, that's not the same. <laughs> cool. That's not. I do that all the time, too. People are like, when's your birthday? And I'm like... I'll say, oh, my birthday's in February, too. And I'll be like, oh, mine's the 27th. When's yours? I'm like, mine's the first. And I'm, it's not the same. Like, <laughs> I don't woo, know. It's kind of cool to find. stupid conversation. <laughs> it's kind of fun what? to find someone with the same birthday as you, though. The same, yes. Well, that's fun. Well, like the same but month. when they're like, mine's the mine's the third. It's That's not the same day. Okay. Um, and then the conversation just fizzles. Okay. So um, most medieval historians agree that there's no evidence that Pope Gelasius replaced Lupercalia with any festival whatsoever. Um, a similar claim that Candlemas replaced Lupercalia is also without merit. I don't know what Candlemas is. <laughs> I don't either. But sure. Uh, with scholar Jack Oruk proclaiming, quote, at no point does Gelasius speak of compromise or adapting any pagan customs, which is funny because Catholic stuff is very heavily pagan influenced. Oh, yeah. And I just find it really hilarious when they call people pagans. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, da -da -da -da. Um, and another professor telling history.com, quote, it just drives me crazy that the Roman story keeps circulating and circulating, unquote. <laughs> Meanwhile, popular right, popular legends that Lupercalia featured girls writing their names on paper that would be drawn from a box by boys are likely an 18th century invention. Yeah. That's interesting. Most mainstream historians instead propose that Valentine's Day and romance became associated with each became associated with each other only in the late 14th century and specifically because of a Geoffrey Chaucer poem, haha, <laughs> called <laughs> Parliament of Fowls. Oh. A Parliament of Fowls. Of course it was Chaucer. Dirty bird. <laughs> All right. Number eight. This is the last one. Okay. Valentine's Day might not even be on February 14th. <laughs> in Chaucer's poem, he proclaimed in modern spelling... Yeah, this is translated. So, for this was on St. Valentine's Day... When every bird came there to choose his mate. Unquote. <laughs> but some historians have noted that February 14th is still very cold in England. Yeah. And is unlikely to be a good bird mating season. <laughs> it's very cold here, too. <laughs> it's freezing here, actually. There's ice everywhere. It's, yeah, there's ice everywhere. Um... <laughs> In the 1980s, some historians led by Andy Kelly of UCLA began proposing that the Valentine Chaucer was referring to was St. Valentine of G Genoa, whose feast day occurred on May 2nd or 3rd. Look at that. Instead of <laughs> Valentine of Rome. 
Yeah. This is especially relevant because King Richard II and Anne of Bohemia concluded their marriage treaty on May the 2nd, meaning Chaucer may have chosen Valentine just by picking out a random saint whose day fell on the correct day in May. Yeah. <laughs> Over the That makes way more sense. Over the years, the association with May, we, oh, I don't know why it's debated. Like, that's what happened. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that clearly is what happened. Yeah. Over the years, the association with May weakened, weakened, and the day migrated to the more famous Valentine of Rome. Other val- scholars objected, pointing out that there are many references to fertility rites and festivals in February, such as Lupercalia, and that Chaucer may have been discussing the more famous Valentine of Rome and February 14th. Yeah, so of course there's other people that are like, No! <laughs> it's this one. Quote, in medieval studies, there is neither consensus nor continuing debate on the question which St. Valentine Ch- Chaucer had in mind. Unquote. Professor Stephen Justice of the University of California, Berkeley, tells Mental Floss, quote, the evidence just hasn't supported any conclusive arguments one way or the other. And unless one is a cons- and, and unless one is convinc- a convinced that the feast, which whichever it is, identifies the historical occasion of the poem, if it had one, and B, interested in that historical occasion, the question does not seem very consequential. (laughs) One would just like an answer just because one doesn't like unanswered questions, but it's not clear that that much hangs on it. I love that guy. (laughs) I do too. One thing is clear. Today, whether you celebrate Lupercalia or St. Valentine of Rome's Day in February or St. Valentine of Genoa in May, it's best to leave out the goat sacrifices and running naked through the streets. Yeah, let's leave that out. (laughs) Thank you very much. Good job. I like that. Thank you. I thought it was very interesting. That's a side of Valentine's Day I'd never heard. Yeah. So, (laughs) all right. Well, this has kind of gone on long, and I'm sorry for that, but... (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. Well, we love you guys. We hope you're staying warm. Hope you had a good Valentine's Day. I know this is coming out way after, but still. Yeah. um, (laughs) For us, it's before. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right. Well, thank you guys for listening. We love you. Stay safe. And remember... You are not a monster. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to Talk Crooked. Music is by Gisla Niebach. Check out our website, talkcricket.wixsite.com slash podcast for sources and visual aids, as well as resources to get involved. To keep up with our nonsense and stay up to date on all things Cricket, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook at Talk Cricket. To keep the shots coming, access ex- exclusive bonus content, get a free poster, and a shout out on air, head on over to our Patreon. All links can be found on our website. You can listen to us basically anywhere you get your podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you have interesting stories relating to our content, please send them to talkcrooked at gmail.com for a chance to be featured on the show. For business inquiries or sponsorships, please email us at carryandkbusiness at gmail.com. See you next time.